The Alabama Crops Report Podcast, your trusted information source for Alabama agriculture. Hey everybody, welcome in to another episode of the Alabama Crops Report Podcast. I'm Scott Graham. And I'm Caitlin Kessheimer, and it's great to be back in the studio with you, Scott, recording another episode. Yeah, it is. So how's it going lately? So we are here in the middle of August. Uh, it's still hot. We've got some rains from Fred. Corn harvest is underway in the southern part of the state, um, looking good in some areas, some disease and insect issues in other fields. But overall, I think we'll have a good crop by the time we finish harvesting over the next few weeks. Yeah, certainly had some good uh good June rain and things to help fill that corn out. Now, like I said, it seemed like to me, Fred probably didn't do what we had thought it might could have, at least when you look at the entire state as a whole. Uh, So that's good. So hopefully we can avoid any other big things for the next couple weeks and get all this corn out. Yeah, and one benefit of that, too, is uh, it's helped reduce some sugarcane aphid populations in sorghum and some late-planted sorghum, um, help bring in some um, of the beneficial fungus that takes care of pest insects. And so I think it could have been a lot worse, and so we got we got the lucky end of that storm. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, speaking of fungus, our, uh, our guest today, <laughs> no, we've got today uh, Dr. Steve Brown, our extension cotton agronomist, uh, I guess the third time on the podcast, Steve? I think that's right. Yeah, fourth, uh, you you kind of co-hosted one time too. So oh, did I? Okay, well I I'm just a bystander to listen to the corn discussion. Well, they, they may have to start paying you to be on it like they do us. Yeah, we may have to get you out of the hot seat onto this side of the room where uh, the hosting duties are. But yeah, we're excited to have you, Steve. Good to be here. And and y'all were talking about Fred. Well, I was in some cotton yesterday afternoon, and we are towards the getting towards the middle to the late part of August, but. It was being irrigated yesterday, so the, as you move west and southwest in the state, they didn't get much, if anything, from Fred, so they were needing some rain and, and again, supplying it by irrigation where they could. Yeah, yeah. I, I was telling somebody uh, earlier this week that I could see why, you know, the week leading up to Fred kind of getting here, the meteorologist never wanted to say what it was going to do, and you could see why, because, I mean, it seemed like it was changing by the hour, that track, where it was going. Yeah, it looked like it for a while it was coming up maybe the, on the eastern board of Alabama. Then it almost was to the maybe up uh, almost Mobile Bay, and it shifted back and forth and wound up where the eastern part of the state got some rain and western got almost nothing from it. So uh, we could have stood. Most places would have appreciated maybe an inch or so, but uh, I know the wiregrass probably got over four inches from it, and that that's a little much. But still, uh, if if uh, we, we we needed some rain, and, and we'll need some rain over the next uh, few weeks as we try to finish the crops, at least cotton and peanuts, perhaps. Well, before we get too busy into, into cotton talk, we we got to ask you, what's your fun fact about Steve Brown? Well, I, I guess I'm one of several Steve Browns uh, <laughs> at Auburn University. Uh, when I was a student here... Uh, I shared a class with Steve L. Brown, who became an entomologist. Sure. And when I went uh, and worked for the University of Georgia, I lived on 1216 Murray Avenue. And a year or two later, Steve L. Brown moved to Tifton, Georgia, and he moved to 1416 Murray <laughs> Avenue. So uh, I share, we, we still share mail and emails sometimes. And there's there's a famous Steve Brown on campus who's a political science professor, and I get some of his information. And he, in fact, taught one of my sons 
uh, here at Auburn and also at a summer camp in uh, at uh, Stanford University. So he and I exchange information and, and emails and say, I think this is yours. So <laughs> about that. So I guess for me, one of the, the benefits of having a name that no one can pronounce like Kessheimer <laughs> is that I am the only Kessheimer on campus aside from my partner. Right. Um, but we are the only Kessheimers in the state of Alabama. <laughs> so um, I don't ever get confused with anybody else. Right. <laughs> it's the little things in life, you know. <laughs> right. Well, I'm excited to have you on here and talk about cotton and be part of this discussion because in another lifetime, I was a cotton entomologist okay. uh, many, many years ago. In Texas. In West Texas. Okay. All right. So we've had a lot of rain. Do we have rank cotton? What's kind of the status of the cotton across the state right now? We really have cotton all over the board. And I'll back up and say USDA has stated through their sign up, FSA sign-up program that we have about 410,000 acres of cotton across the state. The previous two years we had 450,000, so that number's off a little bit. Uh, we've got cotton that's fairly young, and we've got apparently cotton beginning to open. Uh, so uh, um, on the whole, we would say the crop is, is somewhat late, maybe a, a two weeks late across the state. But the heat of August, I think, is going to push it ahead. And we'll have people that, that want to see some rain, maybe the latter part, or even into late September, whereas most of us will want to see the rain cease around uh, early to mid-September and begin to, to see the crop open and mature. But um, a lot of situations had excessive rain throughout in, in periods either June or July. In fact, I was at a place yesterday and they had 15 inches of rain in July. And the fertility issues that that created was is a frustration. And you can see pale cotton. And they, they actually even put on some extra fertilizer and it, it helped. But a lot of places have been washed out like that. And, and so you, you've got some prospects that are, have been diminished either because it's late or because it's drowned or because it's, uh, the fertilizer has, has been leached out. you got some other places where the crop actually looks spectacular. And uh, I looked at the, the futures, the December futures market this, this morning opened at 93.52. And uh, last year, we, the average price on cotton was around 65 cents. So we're 25 plus cents better than last year. Now we got to make a crop to sell a crop. And I, I, I still have hope that we're going to have a, a decent crop as we average it all together. Some places will be great. Other places will be um, will, will be disappointing, but I think on the whole, I hope we're going to have a an average to maybe above average crop. Again, as I say that, Alabama is so diverse. There'll be places they'll say he's out of his mind. There, we got a terrible crop, and and then other places say hey, we're sitting on something really good. So it's all over the board, I think, in in terms of crop condition and prospects. So what are you you mentioned you know some some issues with pale cotton yellow looking cotton because of and I'm guessing that's twofold a we've leached it out and b the early season rains we just didn't grow a root system really and so there really can't get down there to where it potentially could be or is right I think you've got both issues uh, like you said leached and and root growth root growth tends to slow as we get into reproductive stages where we flower and so. Uh, Root development may be such that as we stay in August and we get to 95 and high extreme humidity that we've seen even over the past a couple of weeks, it's going to stress the crop a little more than it might had we been a had, had we had a normal 
uh, crop year. So, yeah, we've got pale cotton, and some folks uh, would be seeking to address that with, with some additional nitrogen. It's, it's too late, in my opinion, for soil applications, but foliar applications of uh, primarily uh, foliar urea, feed-grade urea, you can make an application of, say, 10 pounds, and that delivers almost 5 pounds of actual in. And so if we had some areas we wanted to, to try to help it along, maybe that's something we might do. In addition, where we've got uh, aggressive growth, maybe in some bottoms, maybe we add and, and get aggressive with PGRs trying to help the crop finish. And that was exactly where I was going with that is do you think some of these fields could use a foliar nitrogen or something like yes, that? Yes, yes, so definitely to, to help perk it up. And foliar nitrogen does not contribute to rank growth. It, it hopefully it's going to be absorbed and, and uh, go to, to bowl development. It's not going to make for a rank plant. So that's a, a good way to address it if you think you might be deficient or might might want to help the crop along. So it's it's been a while since I've been in the classroom. Thank goodness. And uh, remind me what what's our most important nutrient right now for bowl development? It's probably got we got to say it's nitrogen. Nitrogen. Um, we can put on some potassium, and we've got some fields that are that are beginning to prematurely defoliate, or at least to show some foliar disease uh, symptoms that are actually secondary invaders. Because we've got as potassium is drained from the leaf to fill the bowls, those leaves become vulnerable. You see several fungi attack them. Uh, Stemphilium would be one, Cercospora, and maybe Alternaria. Those those get on the and they make the cotton look ugly. Um, and as that is as the potassium is depleted in the leaf, you, you can even lead to premature, premature defoliation, and you can uh, cut yields as a result of that. So that's happening out there. So we can put nitrogen, we can put a little bit of potassium, but this so for the foliar application of potassium, you may give a couple of pounds, and that's a day or two's worth at most. So it's that probably nitrogen is the product that we can most uh, do something with at this stage of the game. You mentioned that a couple of the crops are about two weeks behind. Are there any special considerations that growers who have, you know, went in late because of the rains earlier in the summer that they need to take into account now as we're moving towards open bowl? Yeah, one of the approaches they they would have they, they should have adjusted their program probably earlier than we're talking. They they might should have had a if they have a target in rate, let's say of ninety to a hundred pounds, maybe they if they were really late, they probably should have backed off ten or fifteen, maybe even twenty pounds, twenty percent of that. Um, they should have done that earlier. Um, the other thing would, would be to typically be more aggressive with PGRs, and so that's 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 something else we can do to help finish the crop. However, given the if if it's dry land, I think the heat and stress right now will will tend to push the crop and promote uh, maturation a little quicker than than might might uh, we've ex- we might have experienced in normal conditions. Yeah, it seems like we really have have not completely, but we've started catching up a little bit I over think the you're last, right I think you're right yes yeah you know, the, the heat and stuff has really helped the crop and <clears throat> one thing out that I you know you and I talked about earlier this year and uh, I was listening to the Mississippi crop doctors podcast yesterday they had uh, their cotton specialist Brian Paralisi on and they talked about it a little bit and I'm interested on your thoughts of a lot of this cotton that didn't start putting on squares until the 
sixth, seventh, eighth node this year. Is that going to affect yield much? Do you think? I don't think so. We we in fact I summarized. We have a, a field day later this week at the Wiregrass, and and uh, I summarized. I got several experiments there, and I said, all right, what node? What node did we see the first square? And uh, several experiments were over seven, like seven point two or seven point three. Had one that was like six and a half. I I don't think. Uh, uh, moving fruit, the first uh, flower, first or first node of, of first square, I don't think that's going to impact us. It may delay us a little bit, but I think once you get a, a significant crop, a, a crop of significant size, you can fruit uh, set a lot of fruit in a hurry. And I think we can make a maximum crop on even four weeks of bloom. And so we got, we still have, we still have some time to set some fruit if we need to. Some fields are, are winding up, but we have, we have time now still to make some cotton. So Scott, you're pulling double duty today because I'm going to ask you a couple questions now about the insect situation in cotton. What's it look like right now, and what have we kind of seen the last couple weeks? Well, you know, there is no quote normal year. And this year is, is no exception to that. So typically in Alabama, when we think, you know, Insect pests this time of the year, spider mites are always a concern statewide, uh, but really we're primarily focused on plant bugs in North Alabama, and in particular the Tennessee Valley, and stink bugs really across the rest of the state. And that's still, for the most part, the case this year, but there has really been a lot of stink bug pressure in the Tennessee Valley this year, and I don't know if it's because our corn planting was kind of spread out, and we're just kind of continuously trickling these stink bugs in. Uh, but, but you know, my observations and fields that I've seen, and some feedback that we've gotten from folks that are walking fields up there, really a lot more stink bugs in in the Tennessee Valley than in a normal year. And actually, on the way in to record this morning, I got a phone call uh, from South Alabama, uh, the Florida Panhandle about is and it's not widespread it's just in some some uh, localized areas but plant bug pressure is just unbelievable they've sprayed four or five times for plant bugs and can't clean them up and that's you know maybe in north alabama in in the tennessee valley that's something some folks have probably dealt with certainly in in the mississippi delta the mississippi river delta that stuff those folks are have dealt with and but in south alabama that's really not very common uh, so, you know, that, there could be some things into that with, you know, it could be, you know, we need to make sure we're using the right tips, the right gallonage, pressure, things like that. And it sounds like those folks were, uh, but but just really a, a very unique year. Now, we do have some spider mites in some spots. Uh, Steve, you mentioned the rain and the wire grass, and they probably didn't need four inches, but... There's several fields down there that had uh, mites where you could start to see on f- field borders, a little bit of even defoliation it looked like starting to happen. That rain will really help there. It's not probably not going to get rid of the mites, but it's certainly going to slow them down and beat them back, and hopefully it'll help us get through the rest of the year now without issues with spider mites. But that's yeah. kind of a long-winded answer there, too. I'm just thinking in a year like this, it's weird that we're having issues with spider mites, knowing how wet it's been. But I think 
you mentioned, you know, there might be some issues with application, but I think sporadic spotty rains can play a role too. Because I mean, if you treat a field and then, you know, go half mile down the road, you may get a pop-up shower and not even know about it. Yeah. And that may mess with your rain fastness. And so we've seen some some failures because of the weather alone. And yeah. so that may play a role. And also, you know, not getting great burn down in a lot of fields and kind of being late to get in and finally kill these weeds because of all the rain. The mites are building in low populations there. Then they move to the cotton. And then we hit a seven, 10 day period where it gets hot and dry, boom. I want to circle back and, and and reiterate something you said, Scott. Uh, as we talk about late cotton, the one thing I would do is I would be extremely vigilant on stink bug control because if you have late cotton and it's the only green thing around and you got a lot of bowls or young bowls developing, stink bugs will find that. And so if we have expectations of making a crop in a field like that, we need to be very vigilant on stink bugs and not give not give a crop up to, to those bugs. Yeah, and as long as we're in that peak bloom of, you know, the third to sixth or so week of bloom, our threshold's really low, it's just 10%. Uh, you know, if you think about it, that's really not that many uh, damaged bowls. As we get later, uh, it's still important that we do protect that top crop if we think we're gonna harvest it, but we can, take 30, 40, 50% damage just because there's not as many bowls out there. But like you said, these late planted fields, uh, these fields that are staying green, they're really gonna be green islands this year. And these stink bugs are gonna, <laughs> you'd probably say, hopefully they go to our soybeans, but uh, <laughs> they're, they're gonna go into our cotton fields too. And it's gonna be important that we keep watching those bowls. Uh, stink bug prefers a, a young, uh, 10 day or so old bowl, but they can cause damage on a bowl until it's 21, 24 days old. So it's really important that we stay vigilant late in the year and make sure we, we manage these stink bugs. I know scouting for stink bugs and corn is fun because they're sneaky. Um, what's the best way to look at your cotton to see if you have stink bugs? The best way uh, is to actually just sample for the damage. So we're pulling bowls that are about a, an inch in diameter, popping them open, uh, looking for warts, stained lint. Sometimes you can just see a hole where it went through. And if there's not a wart there yet, it could just be it hasn't formed yet. Uh, it could never be one, but that's going to be uh, an avenue for bull rot organisms to get into the bowl and, and you, you lose uh, yield that way. So very difficult. Like you said, they're skittish. They're, <laughs> they really try and take a picture of them as us entomologists like to do. They can make you feel kind of silly chasing them around a plant, uh, but they're hard to catch in a sweep net. They're hard to find in a drop cloth because they hear you coming down the row and get out of the way. Uh, so. You know, we always kind of say, basically, if you're walking the field and you're, you're just seeing stink bugs, or if you do do a, a set of 25 sweeps and you catch a couple of stink bugs, you're probably at threshold. Sure. Another aspect of this is uh, usually around Labor Day, we, we have fields, well, should we keep going with this crop or, or not? And if we've got a plant that has some potential, but we don't have a lot of harvestable bowls yet, uh, again, that's the field I'm going to make sure. I may not make many more inputs, 
But the one thing I am going to spend money on, if I have stink bugs, I'm going to control them. And so that's, again, uh, that crop that you're just saying, well, let's just see what happens in this field. Don't totally neglect it, but get. Be, I still would be aggressive with stink bug management in those situations. Well, and, and I'm, I'm uh, not a math guy. I like to put that on the record now. But if we think about it, if we make a $6 application with 90 cent cow or $6 spray with 90 cent cotton, we don't need to make but seven or eight pounds of cotton to preserve that, you know, to make that money back. Right. So with with the prices the way they are now, we can really afford to to be aggressive and kind of some years I feel like, and you can correct me, I feel like some years we need to chase money. Some years we can kind of chase yield a little bit. And this year with where prices are, we can really afford to chase yield. That's correct. I'm, I'm with you. Yes. And one of the other benefits too is if you take out the stink bugs now, that's less going into overwintering that are going to remain the system. And especially you mentioned high numbers up in the Tennessee Valley those are going to translate to high numbers in the 2022 crop. Um, they'll go to corn, then they'll move to, to cotton. And so the more we can take out now, the better, you know, everyone wins. Well, I think that does it for us for this episode. Steve Brown, Steve L. Brown. Nope, not Steve, Steve L. Brown. M. Steve M. Brown. See, that's, I mean, there's too many of you guys. He just threw a hand signal at to show us <laughs> what an M. M looks like. He knows I'm from Mississippi, so. Well, you're not a, a math guy. I'm clearly not a letter person. So, uh, Steve, thanks so much. And I imagine we'll have you back soon once we start putting on harvest aids and, and picking that cotton. Thank you, Caitlin and Scott. Yep. Thanks, Steve. And thank you all, our, our listeners. We appreciate you all hopping on and, and uh, visiting with us every week. Uh, as always, if any of us can ever do anything to, to help, please don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. The Alabama Crops Report podcast is a production of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System and is sponsored by Alabama Ag Credit.